Thank you, Brother Jim. I was singing that in my head. I know the rest of you were as well as you were listening to that. Praise the Lord. Well, today we're concluding our series, It's a Wonderful Life. We've looked at uh, several things over the past few weeks. Uh, we looked at the right focus, which is keeping our eyes on Jesus this Christmas season. We've looked at the right fortitude, which is surrendering our pride and trusting in the Lord in difficult situations. And we've also seen uh, last week the right faith, meaning being obedient and used as God's instrument, believing that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? And so we have had a great time looking at some of these clips, using a few clips from the movie to illustrate truth uh, from God's Word. So today, as you will recall uh, from last week, uh, uh, the crazy uh, backward Uncle Billy lost the $8,000, and uh, Potter, mean old Potter, took it and accused George Bailey of embezzling that money. Uh, There doesn't seem to be an answer for George, and he's at his wit's end. Life doesn't seem all that wonderful to him right now. And so if if his life could end, he feels like, if his life could end, the insurance uh, money would take care of it and uh, take care of the issue, and life would be better without him, he feels. And so he prays, and uh, the angel Clarence comes and gives him the gift of seeing what life would be like had George never been born. Now, once he sees the town that's no longer the same, and his brother would have died at a very young age, uh, he realizes he would have never met his wife. He realizes that he would not have his children. There would be no children. They would not exist since he was never born. He then realizes what he had, and he wants it back. He wants to live again. So let's look at a real quick video right now. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now, get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... Christmas, you wonderful old Billy and Lou! 
In jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, that's quite a change, isn't it? Well, when he remembers who he was and remember what he had, he realizes with great fervor that it is a wonderful life. Friends, today we're going to look at it's a wonderful life with the right fervor. Now, if you're not sure what fervor is, it's a passion, it's a zeal, it's enthusiasm, it's dedication. And so let me just stop and ask you a couple of questions. One, what is it that you are most enthused about? What is it, where, where is your greatest dedication? Where is your fervor? Where is your zeal? You see, friends, a wonderful life is not centered on things or activities, but it's centered on a person, Jesus Christ. So the question is, where are you in your walk with Jesus? Maybe there is no fervor. Maybe there is no passion. Maybe there is no enthusiasm or zeal right now in your life. Maybe your relationship with Jesus has become routine. Maybe your walk with the Lord is now more like a limp instead of a walk. Or maybe life doesn't feel all that wonderful for some reason. Maybe, friends, we need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to live again. So today, let's see the Christmas story, and let's see some of the activity and realize the right fervor that is needed in our walk so we can live again, so that we can be revived again in our faith. And never forget that for the believer, it is a wonderful life. So if you would, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, let me read for you Luke 2 as you stand Uh, in honor and reverence to the word, and I will read Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, the Christmas story. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they they had seen him, they made widely known the same which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and our lives as we hear what you have for us to hear today. Lord, we pray that you'd use the word, speak through the word by the power of your spirit, Lord, to speak into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we need to be transformed, or we need to be changed, or we need to be challenged or comforted. May you have your way in us and through us by your power. Father, we pray that we'd be open and receptive to what you want us to hear and understand. Lord, let us be the people who are desiring to live again, to be revived in our faith, to have the right fervor for you, Lord Jesus. And may you use this passage of scripture and speak to us in the midst of it, Lord, to realize just what kind of fervor we need and why we need it. And so, Father, I pray now that you'd be with us. If there are those here who don't know Jesus, this would be the hour of salvation. Those of us who do, Lord, may you revive and refresh us by your power and grace. But, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline in your bulletin. And what we're going to see here, first off, is that there is fervent joy in the message of Jesus. There's fervent joy in the message of Jesus. Well, where do we see joy in this story? Well, it could be in Joseph and Mary because uh, we don't really see it specifically, but we can imagine that there probably was some joy as the birth of Jesus takes place, and they're likely very happy that the baby has been born. But I think more specifically, as we're looking for joy, we see here in the angels and in the shepherds, I think that we can very clearly see some joy. And the first thing, there's three little things here that I think we can see in the joy. And the first one is that there was joy in telling it, it being the message of Jesus. There was joy in telling it. In verse 8 through 10, it tells us again that they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. This good tidings of great joy. The good tidings is the good news that brings great joy. And what is that good news? What are those good tidings? Well, of course, it's for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. There's great joy. You can almost sense it as the angel is proclaiming the good news that the babe Jesus Christ the Lord has been born, that there is some joy there. You know, as the angels, you have to wonder, as the angels are watching this scene unfold behind the curtain of heaven, you wonder, was there a sense of great joy to be able to tell that Jesus was born? I tend to think so. We see that here with the angel giving the good tidings of great joy, but also you can almost see how the night sky is fully illuminated as the multitude of heavenly hosts praises God in verse 14. You can hear them just sort of bursting forth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There was joy in telling the message of Jesus. But also I believe there's joy in hearing, hearing the message. There's joy in hearing it. Hearing the message. In verse 15 it says, So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, in my mind, you know, I, I sort of think about how does that really look? Because all we have is, is words on paper. But if you were one of those shepherds uh, in the field that night, and the angel of the Lord has just come to you with these good tidings of great joy, and then immediately following that, the whole sky is lit up with all these angels saying glory to God. I have a hard time believing that as the shepherds hear that, they look at one another and say, what do you think, Josiah? You think we ought to go see this thing? I don't know, Hezekiah, what do you think? What about you, Azariah? No, no, no. I don't think that's what happened at all, do you? I think that they couldn't wait. They said, let's go. This is great news. And so there was fervent joy in telling the good news, but also in hearing this good news. The good news that the Savior is born, that light has come, that hope has dawned. You know, some people, they they don't want to hear the good news, but for those who need hope or for those who are searching, friends, there is fervent joy in hearing the good news. Amen? Y'all awake this morning? I'm not sure you are. Because we're talking about some really good news, amen, that Jesus Christ has been born, the Savior and the Lord. You know, when we think about hearing this good news and telling the good news and there's fervent joy, you know, you have to think, you know, if you've been told, if you've been told that you have some terminal illness and that there was no hope for you and that there was no cure for your illness and that the doctors and we have done all that we can do for you, but then within the next hour, they come back to you and say, guess what? what? The cure has been found for your illness. And your illness, once you take this cure, take this medicine, your illness will be gone. Friends, who has the most joy? The most joy in that, in hearing about it or the people who are telling it? I think it's a pretty equal fervent joy, don't you? There's joy in both that. And friends, here's the thing. We have fervent joy in the message of Jesus because we have sin's sickness and we know that the sin's cure has come. His name is Jesus. Our deliverer, our rescuer has arrived. We have the cure for our sin, and his name is Jesus. Amen? So we have this joy, this fervent joy in the message of Jesus, the telling of it and the hearing it, but also there's joy in experiencing it as well. They heard the news, and they acted upon the news. In verse 16, it tells us here, and they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Haste means quickly, suddenly. They left quick. They moved quick. They hurried along, and they hurried to where God was working. Did you catch that? They hurried to where God was working. They didn't run from what God was doing. They ran toward it. You see, friends, there is joy in experiencing the message of Jesus. There's joy as you tell it. There's joy as you hear it. There's joy as you are affected by it. And there's joy as you experience it as well. You see, friends, as you see what God is doing in the lives of people, it should cause us to have great joy. Amen? When we see what God is doing in the lives of people, it should cause great joy. To see people saved. To see families reconciled by Jesus. To see lives transformed by Jesus. To see hearts, heartaches that are overcome by Jesus. By his power, that should cause us as believers to have joy. You see, friends, joy <clears throat> is found in Jesus. 
That's where our joy is found. Jesus is our fullness of joy. Y'all agree with that? He is our fullness of joy. John 15, 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And in 1 Peter verse one, chapter 1, verse 8, speaking of Jesus Christ says, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible or joy indescribable and full of glory. Jesus is our fullness of joy. And as the shepherds experienced this babe Jesus, the one told to them by the angels, we see what happened in verse 17. It says, and when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They made widely known when they had seen this baby Jesus, when they finally got there and they saw this child, they just couldn't help it. They had to tell what they had seen. They couldn't help as they had experienced this Jesus, the one that they had been told, that the angels had come to them and told them about Jesus, and then they experienced him and saw him there. They just couldn't help themselves, friends. They had to tell them. It wasn't a burden for them to go and tell people about Jesus, was it? Would it then have to trick them with some kind of gimmick? They didn't have a drudgery about telling people about Jesus either, but rather, and they didn't care if it offended anybody. Apparently, they just went and told people about what, what they had seen and who it was and what they'd experienced. You see, something happened, and they were affected by someone named Jesus, and they couldn't help it but to tell it. And they had great joy. There is great joy, friends, and the message of Jesus. You know, men <clears throat> have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. Some have successfully found it while others have not. Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found as I came across this little illustration this week. Someone said it's not found in unbelief for Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type and he wrote, I wish I had never been born. It's not found in pleasure. Joy is not found in pleasure. For Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure, if anyone ever did. And he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. It's not found in money. Joy is not found in money. Believe it or not, joy is not found in money. As a matter of fact, Jay Gould, who was the American millionaire, had plenty of money. And when dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. It's not found in position and in fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both position and fame. And he wrote that youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, and old age a regret. Doesn't sound like much joy there, does it? It's not even found in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. So then where then is real joy found? Friends, we know where real joy is found. It's not found in the things of this world. It is found in the person whose name is Jesus. That's where real joy is found. Listen, it is a wonderful life with the right fervor. There is fervent joy in the message of Jesus. But secondly, we see this also that there is fervent worship in the marvel of Jesus. Fervent worship and the marvel of Jesus. 
You see, not only do we see fervent joy here, but we also see fervent worship. We see in our passage today that the angels and the shepherds also worship. Look at verse 14. Again, we've read this already, but we see that the angels are praising God. Verse 13, verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So what elicited this praise? What is it that elicited this worship? It is that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, and he is the long-awaited Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah has come. You see, from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of prophecies that the Messiah would come. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as the Lord was doling out the consequences for sin to the serpent, if you recall, God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, which points to Jesus. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, Jesus will crush your head as you bruise his heel. In Malachi, and then all the way through the Old Testament, we see prophecies of this Messiah who is to come, Jesus. And in Malachi 3, 1, it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then we move to the Gospels and we find that he has come. He has come. And so because he has come, the angel says that the promise has been kept. The Messiah has come. The one born is the Savior, is the Christ, the Lord. The the Christ, the word Christ there means he's the anointed one, means that he is the Messiah. The angels worship and they praise God saying, glory to God in the highest. The word glory means all honor and splendor to God because of what he has done. And what has he done? Jesus says what he's done. The long-awaited Messiah has come to bring peace to men. The peace of God, the peace with God. There was fervent worship in the marvel of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. But also we find that the fervent worship of the marvel of Jesus, not only the long-awaited Messiah, but, but also that there's the one lying in a manger. In verse 12, one of the things that the angel says to the shepherds is, and this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. We find back in verse 7, that's exactly what happened, that she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling claws, laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. So this, as the angel is telling this to the shepherds, this was a sign to the shepherds on how to find this baby. He's in a manger. Now, don't you find that rather odd. Don't you think it's odd that he's in a manger, in a feeding trough? Here is the creator of the universe, the maker of what we see and all around us and even things which we do not see, being born and being placed in an animal's feeding trough. Isn't that odd? As a matter of fact, when we think about this, this picture, we have a Christmas card quality picture in our minds, don't we, of this setting. 
We see a beautiful stable. The, the hay is all nice and, and uh, golden. Uh, the, 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 the manger is, is well kept. And uh, the, angel, the, the uh, animals are all there lowing, you know, and Mary and Joseph, they look fine, you know, well-dressed and what have you. You know, it's beautiful picture, be- plenty of light. But the scene in reality, friends, probably looked very little like that. The scene was very dirty and very dark. Why is it that God, that this is God's place for Jesus to be born in a scene that would be dirty and dark and in a feeding trough? You see, you have to wonder why is everything pointing to poverty and obscurity and rejection? Oh, friend, it's because that's part of the marvel of Jesus. You see, God in the highest has become God in the flesh. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He he left the splendor and the glory and the majesty of heaven and he was born in a cave or a stable becoming poor. You know, the, the shepherds may not have understood everything, but they knew that the angel of the Lord had just given them news that a Savior, Christ the Lord, was born, that he was a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And when they saw this, it tells us in verse 20 that the shepherds returned to glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You see, there was fervent worship at the marvel of Jesus. The angels had just said that this is the Savior, the Christ. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. He's lying in a manger. They go, they see, they find. That's exactly what it is. There was fervent, fervent worship at the marvel of Jesus. And what about us, friends? What about us? Do we not marvel at this as well? Do we not marvel that God came down in human and became a human word became flesh that he dwelt among us that he left the splendor and he came for us well it's best summarized in second corinthians 8 verse 9 verse says for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich thinking the splendor the glory of heaven yet for your sakes for your sakes for your sakes He became poor, that you, each of us, through his poverty might become rich. Oh, friends, the marvel of Jesus, amen? The marvel of Jesus, it makes us worship. It causes us to worship. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He is lying in a manger. But then also there's a third little point here about this. The marvel of Jesus causes us to worship is that he is the Lord for all men. Another reason the shepherds worshiped in the marvel of Jesus is that God revealed this to them. Why shepherds? Why? You know, God doesn't make any mistakes. Everything is intentional. It's intentional that he was in a manger, and it's intentional that the very first people to receive the news about his birth were shepherds. Shepherds were considered unclean. Shepherds were the outcasts. Matter of fact, they were the very last ones that you would have on your social list. As you're planning out your Christmas parties this year, you know, you have your social list of who you want to be there. 
You have the important people that you start at, you know, your family, your friends, and then you come down the list and you come down and you have different ones and different ones. But the very last ones that you would ever want to have on your social list would be the shepherds. If nobody else comes, then maybe we'll invite the shepherds. That was sort of the thinking. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. But yet God chooses the first recipients of the divine birth announcement to be those on the lowest rung of the totem pole, the shepherds. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I think it's seen in what the angel says to them in verse 10 and verse 11. Notice here again. In verse 10, he says that the angel says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And then again in verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, he came for them. And if he came for them, he came for us. He didn't come for the religious leaders. He didn't come for the political leaders. He came for every person. Considering the outcasts as as the shepherds, he came for them because no one deserves his grace. No one deserves his salvation for we are all unclean, but he came to make us clean. You see, there is fervent worship, friends, at the marvel of Jesus. I was reading uh, something Chuck Swindoll wrote <clears throat> this week, and he was telling about when he was overseas, he was working with a man who was under great uh, stress and great pressure. He says he was a very a maverick sort of a missionary. He didn't fit the pattern of a, or the mold of what you think of as a missionary. His ministry was in great part to soldiers, thousands of them. He says he went to his home one evening to visit with him, and his wife said that he wasn't there but was probably down at the office. The office was downtown in a little alley area off of the street. And Chuck says it was a rainy night, but he decided that he'd get on the bus and travel down to be with Bob, the missionary. She'd mentioned that his wife mentioned that his stress and pressure uh, about that he was going through. And so Chuck's would all expected to find the man folded up in despondency, discouragement, depression, and just about ready to call it quits. He says, I got off that little bus. I walked down the alley about a block and a half. I turned right, went down a little smaller alley to a little hut with a little mat in it. He says, I got, out, I got away from the street noise. I heard some singing coming from that little hut. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And then that next stanza, he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Quietly, he says, he eavesdropped on his private praise service. As Chuck Swindoll stood in the rain and looked through the walls of that little cheap hut, he says, I saw a man on his knees with his hands toward heaven, giving God praise with his Bible on one side and InterVarsity Christian hymnal on the other side, his little spiral notebook worn from use. And I saw him turn from page to page where he would read it to God, and then he'd find a hymn and he'd sing it to God. And the remarkable thing is that that pressure that he was under did not leave for perhaps another two weeks. But that praise service alone before God absolutely revolutionized his life. You see, friends, no matter what we're facing in this life, we really want to live again. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. 
because there is fervent worship at the marvel of Jesus. Amen? And what he has done for us, we can worship him with great passion and enthusiasm. There's fervent joy at the message of Jesus. There's fervent worship at the marvel of Jesus. But then thirdly, there is a fervent love in the mission of Jesus. Okay, preacher, I, I can see where there's fervent joy here, and, and I can see the fervent worship, but you know what? I'm looking here, and I really don't see any love. Where, where is the love, pastor? Where is the love that you're talking about, this fervent love in the mission of Jesus? Well, actually, friends, we've already read the verses. We've already seen it in verse 10 and 11. The angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's the love in that it is God who sent his son so we could be delivered, so we could be rescued, so we could be saved. That's the love part, friends. There's fervent love in the mission of Jesus and what God has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Herein, friends, is fervent love, the mission of Jesus. It's the greatest gift ever given. Jesus Christ. Chances are you've been been pondering, you know, to, to, to buy the just the right gift this year for that special person. You've, you've searched Amazon, or you've searched Kohl's, or you've searched Walmart, you've searched the sale papers. You're just waiting to find the right, the, to get the greatest, the perfect gift. And that's great. That's awesome. But I'm here to tell you, friends, that the greatest gift that's ever been given was given some 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus. Amen. That's the greatest gift ever given. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He came and he gave his life for us. And friends, listen, that fervent love that God has for us should cause us to have a fervent love as well. Y'all with me this morning? Because he has a fervent love for us that should well up within us and cause us to have a fervent love as well. A fervent love for the Lord. Jesus said himself in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Friends, let me tell you what, that is a fervent love, don't you think? Loving him completely with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That is a fervent love that we're going to have for the Lord God Almighty. Having a great love, an awesome, a fervent, a zealous, and exciting, enthusiasm, passionate love for Jesus because of what he has done for us. We should have that love. It, it comes supernaturally within us as we have the Holy Spirit living there within us. That fervent love that comes from the Lord, we then turn back to him in fervent love for him. But guess what? <clears throat> Not only are we supposed to have a fervent love for the Lord, we're also supposed to have a fervent love for each other. Come on now, right? Right? That's mighty weak if you agree with that. We're supposed to have a fervent love for the Lord. We're also supposed to have a fervent love for each other. Amen? Yes. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, 
in sincere love of the brethren. Watch this. Love one another. Look at that word. Fervently with a pure heart. Fervently with a great passion and enthusiasm and dedication to love each other the way we have been loved. That means unconditionally. That means warts and all. Amen. No matter what's going on in our lives, we are to love other people. We're to love other believers, specifically here, the brethren. Friends, there is no wiggle room here, is it? We must love fervently. Friends, listen. It's a wonderful life with the right kind of fervor. It's a wonderful life when we have a fervent joy in the message of Jesus. It's a wonderful life when we have the fervent worship in the marvel of Jesus. And it's a wonderful life as we have a fervent love in the mission of Jesus. George Bailey decided and he prayed, I want to live again. God, I want to live again. Friends, do you want to live again? Do you want to have the right fervor, the right passion, the right zeal, the right enthusiasm? Or has your fervor simply been misdirected? Even in our service to the Lord, we can make that our passion. Those are good, but that should not be our great passion. Even in our family, it's good to love our family, have a passion for our families, but friends, it should not be our greatest passion. Our activities, our sports, those things are fine. Even the study of the word of God is great, but it should not be our greatest passion. Friends, our greatest fervor, our greatest zeal, our greatest passion should be for Jesus and him alone. And as we have that passion for him, then it causes all these other things where we have a desire to preach and to teach and to tell people about who the Lord is and a desire to worship and to love as he's taught us to do that. But he must be our greatest passion. Friends, listen, let's remember who we are and what we have in Jesus. And as we do that, it will cause us to have the joy and the worship and the love as he has given that to us. So here's a couple things to do, to do, to do this. First off is remember, remember. I believe that Christians today all across the board need revival. We need to live again. I think Christians all across the board have lost some of their zeal, some of their excitement, And we're more humdrum than we are holy. I think that we are more um, limping along than walking with Jesus. I believe it is more of a routine than it is a relationship many times. I don't know about you, friends, but I'm constantly asking the Lord to, to give me that passion for him. To have that fervor and that zeal. And to have that fervor, to have that zeal, it comes from knowing Jesus and loving him. And as believers, to get back, to live again, we must remember. Remember, friends, the joy that we had when we first heard the message of Jesus. Knowing that we're sinners and we needed a Savior. And we heard that we could be saved, that we could be cleansed of our sin. That we had a Savior who loved us. God who created us, loved us and cared for us. And he made the way for us to be saved, to be children of God, to be in a right relationship with him. Remember that joy that we had as we heard the good news and we received it into our lives. 
Then also, let's remember the joy of seeing God at work in our lives, how he changed us and how he transformed us and how he continually does that, but also the joy that we had as we saw it in the lives of other people when they were being saved, when hearts were being changed, and how we rejoiced at what God was doing. Let's remember that joy. But also, friends, let's remember the marvel of Jesus and how he left the splendor of heaven, how he was rich but became poor so that we who are poor could become rich. Let's remember the marvel. Let's worship him. Let's remember the joy. But also, let's remember the love that he has for us, the love that God gave his only son for us. And let us remember our love for him and desire to spend time with him and ask him to let our hearts burn for him once again. Let's remember what it used to be like as a believer in your life. Let's remember. And then secondly, let's repent. The second thing we need to do is we remember where we used to be and we realize where we are now, then we must repent. Because friends, listen, if we are not where we need to be in our fervor for the Lord, then we are sinning against him. We need to repent and ask him to forgive us for not letting him and allowing him to be the first in our lives, to be the passion of our lives, to be the enthusiasm, the zeal, and the dedication of our lives. And when that's the case, friends, we need to repent. Say, oh, God, forgive me. I've I've, I've let other things get in the way of you. And he calls us to that, to repent. Friends, I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord, but chances are all of us here need to repent and say, Lord, I've let other things come first. I want to remember the joy. I want to remember the marvel of the worship. And I want to remember the love that you have for me. And I want it to be fervent in my life at all times. I want that passion. Oh, God, I want to live again. Maybe you're here today and you've not come to know life, that real wonderful life in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, know it's a step of faith. We're all sinners and need a Savior. We turn from our sin. We turn to Jesus, which is repentance. We believe, embrace him with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again. And we profess him as the Lord and Savior. It's a step of faith. If you've never trusted Jesus, believe in him today, trust in him, turn to him today. It is a step of faith. And for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus, why not this Christmas say, Lord, I want to live again and turn your hearts back toward him and say, Lord, help me to have the passion that only you can bring to me, not only at Christmas, but all year long. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd help us to make that commitment today, to make that refreshing, that rededication of our hearts and of our lives to be the people of God that you have called us to be and that truly we would live again, that you would revive us in our walk with you, revive us in our faith. Give us, Lord, that fervent joy. Give us that fervent worship and give us that fervent love because of Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are our fullness of joy. Thank you, O God, that you We marvel at who you are, and we are grateful with great excitement that you loved us and came for us. 
So, Lord, I pray that you be with us as we come now to the invitation for those who need to know Jesus, that they would come and, and just uh, say, Pastor, I, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I'd be glad to pray with them. Or maybe, Father, there are those as well who just want to come and recommit their lives to you and say, I want to have the passion of, for Jesus that you desire for us to have. Father, I pray that you'd work in our lives to, to live again, to desire that life again in you where there is real joy and love and worship and centering our lives upon you. Maybe the others, Father, that are you're dealing with in obedience, dealing to surrender. Maybe you're dealing with them to join this, this church fellowship or to be baptized or ever how you're dealing with folks, Father. Just let us be obedient. Help us to be open to your work and we'll give you the glory, honor, and praise. We praise you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to-